saying, there, there is an anchor for you. And it's my Father's house. And it's going to be a place of such security and intimacy that I'm going to make available because I'm divine and I can do that. And, and, and he's speaking with such power because now he's not just appealing to our hearts. He's, he's appealing to the reality of the gospel message that he can make that place real. Today on the Songtime broadcast, we'll continue our study with Dr. Brian Chappell. As we're looking at Jesus' claim to be the way, the truth, and the life, he shows us what he is preparing for us and what he is bringing us to, to a relationship with our Heavenly Father and a home and a mansion prepared for us. Stay tuned for that message. But first, we're joined once again by Dr. Michael Glodo as we talk about how to see the ironic blessing, the blessing of God to shine his face upon us as a New Testament believer. The many voices are coming together for that one message. I'm your host, Adam Miller. You're listening to Songtime Radio. I have a friend who started reading through the Bible in a year, and he is getting himself a little bit stuck in the weeds of those first few books of the Bible. You know what I'm talking about. You get through Genesis, that's okay. You get through Exodus, uh, that's a little challenging, but it's still okay. But then we get into Numbers, Deuteronomy, and Leviticus. Those books are a little hard to get through and make sense of in the context of where they fit in the rest of the Bible. And I understand exactly what he's going through and what many of you have likely experienced as well. Uh, But because we are so far removed from the Old Testament, because we spend most of our time in the New Testament, that's what we understand. It can be very difficult to to see those those references and those texts as something that is influential in our faith today. It seems like ancient text, even farther removed than the New Testament books of the Bible. Uh, But our guest today is Dr. Michael Glodo, and he's written a book called The Lord Bless You and Keep You. It's the promise of the gospel in the Aaronic Blessing. Now, this comes from the book of Numbers. It's a small passage. It's a small text. But, uh, Michael, this is an important text that's actually in a context. So, instead of just ripping it out of its context and explain to us how we can apply this to our day-to-day lives, what is the greater context? What is it that gives this this blessing of Aaron meaning even to New Testament believers? That's a terrific question because to appreciate what's going on, we have to look at the context in which this this blessing is given. Uh, The most immediate context is Israel redeemed from slavery in Egypt, brought to Mount Sinai, um, and this is this is so important, and I know I know you've uh, you've probably preached on this, Adam. The law was given to a people who were already under grace. In other words, when Israel stood at Mount Sinai and said, "All that you have spoken, we will do," they said that as a redeemed people, as a people who had been declared a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own special treasure. So. The ironic blessing, first of all, is spoken to a redeemed people, the uh, the people of God under grace in the Old Testament. But right before the ironic blessing is uh, prescribed as something that Aaron would give, the people also consecrate themselves. And this is perfectly consistent with New Testament salvation, isn't it, that that saved by God's grace, we don't simply go our own way, but rather we offer ourselves as what? Living and holy sacrifices. And so so the nation of Israel had consecrated themselves right in the immediate context before 
this blessing in Numbers six. Uh, so God God tells Aaron to to administer this blessing, uh, and 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 by administering this blessing, God's name would be upon them. So the context is of God's people under grace uh, receiving the 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 seal, if you will, of divine favor. Yeah. So this, is, is, I'm assuming what you're saying here is that this is not some sort of incantation that you can say over somebody and then consecrate them and set them apart. Uh, maybe a prayer you could pray for your kids, or your grandkids. Uh, that's not what this is. What is it used for then? Yeah, that's that's a good question because I've had a lot of people since the book came uh, came out say, you know, I pronounce this over my kids at 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 bedtime or uh, you know different different things like that. Is that okay? And uh, I, I think um, derivatively, there's nothing wrong with that. I I understand the the desire, and it, I'd say it's a good thing, but we shouldn't treat it like. Um, a formula, or a, or, or a, 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 as you say, an incantation, any more than when Jesus speaks of prayer in the Sermon on the Mount, when he says, "You know, you're not heard for your many words." Uh, so, um, it's it's important, I think, first of all, to locate this blessing from God's appointed spokesperson over his people. So, uh, this is Aaron, God's chosen high priest under the authority of God's instruction, declaring a divine word to uh, God's people. And while all believers are priests, priesthood of all believers, uh, we see under the new covenant that God has appointed his uh, spokespersons, his his preachers, to uh, declare the word of God over his, his people. So, while I wouldn't say tell somebody not to say it over their children, they should also not neglect to receive the word of God from God's um, anointed spokesperson, the the shepherds, the the teachers in the in our church, so that we are hearing the word of God, not just speaking the word of God to our children. Now, what is the the meaning of this? Obviously, this idea of of uh, the blessing. You think of it in the context of Aaron to a a Jewish nation of believers, um, and and that can be hard, I think, for some people to understand its context, its meaning, uh, the located uh, context to those people, and prescribe it to our understanding of of how to use it for our 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 New Testament believers today. I think there 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 are two uh, ways of answering that, and they're both important. One is understanding just the words themselves, and if you look at the words themselves, it's it's actually pretty neat. In the Hebrew, it's uh, three. Uh, each line is uh, three words, five words, seven words. So they're like stair steps, and 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 the consonants reinforce this idea of fifteen, twenty, twenty-five consonants or letters. So each each one, I, I think I think of how you know when the tide is coming in, the waves break. F- further into the shore. And um, and then the first half of each blessing actually causes an effect, which is in the second half of each blessing, the Lord bless you. Well, how does the Lord bless us? He keeps us. The Lord make his face to shine upon you, and that is his grace toward us. And the Lord lifting up his countenance, uh, same word for face, upon us brings us peace or shalom. So it's it's important to understand exactly what the blessing itself is saying, but 
there's a whole other thread to this, which is the what I call the history of faces. And we can talk about that in a separate question. But um, uh, looking at the words themselves, they're sort of like stair steps by which we ascend into God's presence, because God's face is another way of expressing God's presence in Scripture. We've been talking with Michael Glodo. His book is called The Lord Bless You and Keep You, The Promise of the Gospel and the Ironic Blessing. You can find out more information about his book by giving us a call. It's 508-362-7070, or you can head over to our website at songtime.com. Well, today as we're continuing our study here in John chapter 14, Dr. Brian Chapel is explaining to us yet another of the I Am statements of Jesus. Here is where Jesus makes his exclusive claim, I am the way, the truth, and the life. But he does so within a context. He explains to his listeners that he is leading them to the Father. He is preparing a place for them. He is going to go to heaven and prepare a mansion for them. You remember that text. Here it is as we continue our study in John chapter 14 with Dr. Brian Chapel. Now, it, it's not just that Jesus is claiming that, that he has an identity. I mean, he is driving it home over and over again in this passage. You remember it in verse 10? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? Verse 11, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. And, and, and you get the sense of the, the identity, the union of Jesus claimed to be with and of the Father, the Father in him and he in the Father, and I can't diagram that. But, but that's, that's because it's meant to be an identity. He is divine. But, of course, Jesus is not merely claiming that God is his Father. He's claiming that he has a key to the Father's house. <laughs> that, that's verse 2 again. In my Father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? I go. Now, there's a claim that you understand because you live this side of the cross. Even the disciples in that moment didn't understand it fully. He's told them that he will die, that he will go to Jerusalem, that he will be spat upon and flogged and killed, and on the third day he will rise. And he says to them again, I have to go. But he says, I'm actually going to prepare a place for you at my father's house. Now, there's implications of that. He's got the key to get in. And he's saying, I'm... I'm going to prepare a place for you because in my Father's house are many rooms. It's, it's not familiar to our ears anymore, but to claim that he's going to a, a Father's house with many rooms to the ears of those who are listening, think, think of some travel and leisure magazine that you've seen with a Roman villa. And it's, and it's part resort and it's part fortress. And what Jesus is saying is, what they would have known is, I'm going to a place that's got many rooms, means living quarters, kind of houses within, this, this great Roman villa, and, and my father's there, and I can get you in. But if it's a fortress, that means there's security there. And if the father's there, and I'm going there, that you can be with me then it's not just a place of security, it is a place of intimacy. And for all of us, that is a profound promise. To have a place of security and intimacy made available by Christ. It's what 
Jesus is talking about here. I will prepare a place for you that is secure, and, and you can know the warmth of family, even the family of God, forever. Do some of you have a place? I, I couldn't help but think of it because I knew what I was going to be saying. And, and as Dan was talking, I was thinking of the places for me that indicate in the world of trial and difficulty that, that there's security and intimacy that is so important because it's a place where my heart resides. For me, it's a, it's a dairy farm in Tennessee where I spent my summers. And though, though my immediate family, my father, got transferred many times as I was growing up, where I would always spend my summers was, was on that farm where, where I would help my grandfather milk the cows and pick wild blackberries and shoot bullfrogs with BBs and, you know, all the things that you just do, you know, in farm life. And, and no matter how much we moved, that never changed. Every Christmas was there. Every meeting with the cousins, the, the, the expansion of family warmth, though everything else could change. I, I know it's, it's made more sweet by distance and time and naivete of my childhood, but it was the place of no problems. It, it was the place where worries went away. It was the place where, where my heart was. And I, I felt the depth of that when, when, my grandparents passed away and my dad had to sell the farm and suddenly I felt like I was without anchor in the world. And Jesus is saying, there, there is an anchor for you and, and it's my father's house and it's going to be secure and, and I'm going to make it available to you and, and it's a place of such security and intimacy that I'm going to make available because I'm divine and I can do that. And, and, and he's speaking with such power because now he's not just appealing to our hearts. He's, he's appealing to the reality of the gospel message that he can make that place real. C.S. Lewis in the book The Great Divorce talks in a strange way about some British tourists who get on a tour bus to get to tour heaven. <laughs> and, and on the tour bus when they get off, they, they, they suddenly see people who are, are solid and real and, and yet they become almost invisible and kind of spirit and ghost-like and hollow. And the point that C.S. Lewis is making is that's the real world. That's the solid world. This is the world that's ephemeral and passing and, and we bank too much on this. And he's saying, that's the real place. And, and Christ is saying, I will provide that for you. And, and, and forgive me, that, that's not typical of the religions of the world. Where, where God is aloof or remote, or we're not even talking about God if you're Buddhist or Eastern, but you're somehow going into the great essence, or, or, or you're departing from the flesh of this world. And, and the notion there would be a, a, a place for us is, again, one of the unique claims that Jesus is making. When Jesus claims to be the way, the truth, and the life, what he is actually saying is that he is the means of taking us from where we are to where we ought to be in a relationship with our Heavenly Father. He is preparing a place for us. He told his disciples he must go away, and this is essential, that he would go to the cross, that he would die for our sins, that he would be resurrected three days later, and then after 40 days of spending time with his disciples, teaching and and preparing them for their ministry, the apostles, the work that they would do to spread 
spread the good news, Jesus ascends to heaven, and we are waiting for him as he promised to return. Not only do we have the confidence of knowing that when we die, we will be with the Lord, but we are promised a future, a hope of a new heaven and a new earth where we will rule and reign with Christ. And what I love about this is what uh, Paul says in Romans, or uh, sorry, Ephesians chapter 1. We describes our adoption. This is why Jesus came, to bring us into the family of God. This is the way he brings us in by adoption, and he brings us to the Father. Uh, that is the truth and the life he gives us is that he has given us his own life. We are given his righteousness. It says that we are made joint heirs with Christ so that everything that Christ has to claim as his own is ours through his righteousness. And I think that that's a a, a beautiful picture of what Jesus did in the gospel. You know, it takes it more than just Jesus dying for our sins and rising from the dead. It shows us what Christ actually provided for us, not just a forgiveness of sins, but a righteousness that we could not earn on our own, and a reward that even Adam and Eve, if they had never sinned in the garden, would never have achieved on their own because we are given the righteousness of Jesus Christ so that even the angels look in from the outside in absolute and utter amazement. I hope that this encourages you as much as it encourages me because that is something, that is a message that we cannot keep to ourselves. We need to share that with the world around us. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so. If you've been encouraged by this, could could I challenge you to share this good news with somebody else? Be a part of the many voices for that one message and share your story of God's love with those around you. And if we've been able to encourage you, let us know. Let us particularly know who you're sharing that good news with. And let us know by writing to us at Songtime Radio, P.O. Box 100, Barnstable, Massachusetts, 02630. Or give us a call. It's 508-362-7070. You can also head over to our website at songtime.com. Or you can look us up on social media. But don't forget to tune in again tomorrow as we continue to unpack the exclusive claim of Jesus, but also how it demonstrates the vastness of his love for his creation. He not only makes the claim for deity that provides a place of eternal security and intimacy, Jesus is not only talking about the tenderness of his heart here, but the expansiveness of it. In my Father's house are many rooms. On behalf of everyone here at Songtime, we want to thank you for listening. From Cape Cod, I'm Adam Miller with our theme verse, John 13, 34, and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another.